Hello world, I'm Rochelle Indra, a life coach here to teach you the shit they should have taught us in school but didn't. Our society has a vested interest in keeping you stuck and unhappy so that you will try to buy your way out of it. But that's where I come in. I'm here to teach you how to give them all the middle finger. Week by week, I'll share bite-sized strategies on tackling overwhelm, onboarding good habits, creating boundaries, and actionable steps to rewire your brain to actually work for you instead of against you. This is a Soulfire production. Hello, hello, folks, and welcome back. It's great to have you with us today. Today, we're going to talk about something a little bit different. This isn't the usual podcast of something you should know about, something you should try, a tool, a tip, a trick, a strategy to onboard that you're not already doing. This is something you are already doing and you don't realize it. Why don't you realize it? Because this is the shit they should have taught us in school, but didn't. If we are already doing something without knowing it all day, every day, shouldn't we know what it is? Shouldn't this be taught to us? Don't get me started down that rabbit hole. You know how I feel about that. So today what we're going to talk about is your emotional home. And that is the emotion that you rest in most often. And if you are here as one of my soul sisters, one of my beautiful women in my membership for the Rebel Sisterhood, you know this as a piggyback onto what we are working on this month in May, which is the reticular activating system, that spot in the back of your brain that decides from the moment you wake up in the morning Boom, what it is you are going to focus on all day, which is why it's important to set intentions and why we are spending a whole month talking about this in the membership and how to change that neuro pathway from thinking what you are usually thinking about yourself, which is usually something negative, to something positive. And so this episode is sort of piggybacking on to that. So welcome to those of you who are in the membership. Uh, This is sort of supplemental learning. And for everybody else, this is also something that is really going to change for you. Hopefully, the way you think about what emotion you feel most often. And you will start doing this. I did this. My clients do this when I introduce it to them. You'll start noticing the people around you. You'll start being like, oh, shit, that's my husband. Oh, shit, my mom does this. Oh, my God, this is what my coworker is dealing with. You'll start to be able to pinpoint people around you. I always like to say as a life coach, feel free to judge the people around you based on what you learn from me. Just kidding. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. But secretly, we all do that anyways. Uh, Whether or not we are uh, listening to a podcast of a life coach or not, we are all secretly or not so secretly judging each other anyways. But this might give you some helpful insight into this. The way I like to introduce the subject is that haven't we all known or know or are somebody who says, you know, I just bought a new car, but payments are really high. Or we're like, oh my God, you got that promotion at work. That's so wonderful. Aren't you excited? And I'm like, yeah, but you know, my boss is just going to pile on more work. In the end, the money's not even going to be worth it. Or you're like, oh my God, I just heard you bought a new house. Congratulations. Are you so excited? And they're like, yeah, but those homeowners associations, huh? They're going to make me trim my lawn a certain way. There just always seems to be pessimism 
around everything they talk about. I always say that these are like the Eeyores in my life, right? No matter what you bring up, no matter what could possibly be something good that could come out of this, they're going to find the negative. And although I'm like, oh God, here's another Eeyore. Okay, right? That's where I go in my head. The truth is their emotional home may be pessimism. And so when I bring up the reticular activating system in the back of your brain, it's a real spot in the back of your brain. It's a um, collection of um, nerve cells um, in the brainstem that control what you think about or what you focus on. If you focus on that long-term, if you continuously focus on the same thing over and over, that can make your emotional home. The emotion you are most comfortable resting in. That is one way we get an emotional home. By thinking the same type of thought or having the same emotion over and over and over again. Makes your nervous system just sort of settle into that, right? That just becomes your default setting. That's one way, which is why we are working on changing the way we talk to ourselves, changing what we decide to focus on throughout the day. Because we, although want it to be something wonderful like, oh, my emotional home is joy or fun or happiness or calm. Sure, sure, sure. That's great. But that is not what most of our emotional homes are. That's not what emotion most of us rest in. If we're honest with ourselves, most of us rest in Anxiety, overwhelm, sadness, loneliness, depression, fear. These are the things that we experience so much throughout our days and throughout our lives and from trauma that we haven't dealt with that it has so intrinsically become a part of who we are that that is the emotion that becomes our default setting that we, we rest in the most. And so I like to think of it as your emotional home is a jar of honey in the back of your head. So every single thought, every single experience that comes into your head has to go through this honey. So it's all tainted with this honey. Everything you experience is tainted by whatever your emotional home is. So if your emotional home is positivity, then all the experiences that come into your brain are more likely to have a positive tinge to them. And we all know these people in our lives, those people that are just those that can find the positive silver lining in every experience. Yeah, I'm going through this um, medical uh, procedure and it, yeah, it's really scary, but you know, the positive is that I'm going to feel better when it's done or that, oh, I found out about this other medical thing that was going going on with me when I had this scare, right? They're always finding the positive because all the things that are coming into their brain, experiences, thoughts, emotions are being tainted by this honey and their honey is a positive one. The second way that we get an emotional home is based on our childhood. Of course, I was going to say that because you know me, I love bringing everything back to your childhood. The one thing you do not want to talk about, we are going to talk about. 
Now I'm wondering how many people just hit pause when I, when I began to sing. So sorry about that. Uh, there should be a warning before that happens again. But it's our childhood. It's what we experienced in childhood feels like home. I just did a uh TikTok on how when, for those of you who know, I had a dog that I really loved and he passed away uh, last year. And several years ago when he was still alive and happy and healthy, I struggled with looking at him. And every time I saw him, I would start to think about the fact that he was going to die And then I would get really sad and I would cry and I would start to almost experience what it would be like for him to be dead. And and my brain would experiment um, with the emotion of how sad I was going to be when he died. And so I couldn't even look at him anymore without feeling this feeling of, oh my gosh, he's going to die. And so I went to therapy and I talked to my therapist about it and she said, oh, you have, because of the things that you have been through, you have married in your mind love and pain together. And I always like to think of it as a candy cane, right? The red and the yellow swirled together that you have somehow twisted in your mind that love has to be painful. A pause right there because there may be many of you out there listening that also have that experience that love has to be painful in order to feel like love. A lot of people who experience physical abuse in a relationship and stay or emotional abuse in a relationship and stay have this. And maybe it's from an experience they had with a relationship that they were in, or maybe this is something about how you experienced love in your childhood. If you had a parent that had an addiction, then there may have been a lot of neglect in your childhood. So your emotional home, the place that, and again, when I say emotional home, it's not where you want to be. It's not what feels good. It's just what feels familiar. So your emotional home may be loneliness. You may be somebody who feels loneliness even when you are in a crowd of people. You feel loneliness when you're at work functions. You feel loneliness even when you're with friends or family. That has become your emotional home. That even when every experience comes into your mind, it is tainted in the honey of loneliness. Uh, Also, if you have come from a family of addiction or a family of, there was a lot of fighting in your childhood, whether that be your your parents fighting or an older sibling fighting or a step-parent or whatever it was, you may have your emotional home be chaos. If we are not those people, we usually know those people in our life where it just seems like they need chaos. They need drama. They make everything dramatic. They always have some big drama happening, some big catastrophe happening. They insert themselves into dramatic situations that they do not even need to be in. You're going, what? You go out to coffee with them and you're drained after listening to them because it's just one dramatic story after another. Maybe somebody's emotional home is being a victim. Oof, we all know those people, or we might be that person ourselves. We don't like that about us, but it's what we are comfortable feeling. It is what we have felt for so long that it's where we're comfortable, and that becomes our honey. 
So I wanted to introduce you to this idea because I want you to start looking at your own life because you have an emotional home. You already have one. So I want you to start thinking, huh, what's my emotional home? And I would love if you're like, oh, that's interesting. What's my emotional home? Oh my God, it's joy. My emotional home is joy. I float through every room I'm in. Birds fly out of my ass. Whenever I move my hands, glitter just follows everywhere. I mean, people have to like clean up after you because there's just so much goddamn glitter, right? Somebody's with a dust buster behind you. I would love if it was joy. It's probably not. It's probably not. It's usually at this point in our life, if we haven't done the work, if we haven't truly sat with ourselves in meditation or in therapy or really done the work on ourselves, and again, no fault of our own, right? Everybody's busy. Nobody shows us how to do this. It may be something negative, especially because most of us have not yet worked through the traumas of the things that have happened to us. The things that have happened to us in our childhood and the things that have happened to us as we've grown up. So my first ask of you is what's your emotional home? What is it for you? And some people say they find it easiest to figure out what their emotional home is by thinking what is the feeling they most feel when they are alone. Some people say it's easiest to ask the people in their lives, okay, so what, what do you think is my honeypot? What do you think is the feeling that I feel most often? Sometimes it's easier to have somebody you love reflect that back to you. So first, finding your emotional home. Then secondly, the thing that you can work on next is after you have identified what it is, and, and let me go back for a second. Those are a few ways to identify it, but... Another way to identify it if asking people isn't helpful, if you can't find it on your own, is to keep a mood journal. And there are a lot of journals out there because I have bought every single journal and planner that ever was made, I swear it. And for me personally, none of them have worked. But if you are somebody who's a journaler or you're somebody who loves a paper scheduler, you may actually have this in the journal or the scheduler where it talks about what mood you're in, like, which I think is wonderful. It says, okay, what, what was your predominant mood for the day? Or what mood were you when you started the day? What mood were you in at the end of the day? I think that's incredibly valuable. And if I could get myself to stick with a fucking journal, that would be amazing. I can't. Namaste, folks. We're all a work in progress. <laughs> so if you have a journal or a planner that has it in there, start actually using it. And I recommend, what did you start with today? What was your mood throughout the day? What did you end it with? If you are not a journaler, then at least take a moment in the morning when you first wake up to say, huh, how am I feeling? Right before anything has happened today, how am I feeling? Then maybe check in again at lunchtime. Uh, sometimes it's easiest to uh, remember to check in when you do something routine like eating. Um, so checking in at breakfast, checking in again at lunch. How am I feeling? And when I say how am I feeling, I mean in your body. How are you feeling in your body? Not what is your ego telling you? What is your mind telling you? I want to know how you're feeling in your body and then check again at dinner or check again at, at night and maybe do this for a couple days, maybe do this for a week and you will start probably to see a pattern there of how you feel. And remember, 
This is a feeling you feel so often that perhaps now you don't even allow yourself to feel other feelings. Your body is so used to feeling this one that it can't feel other feelings. And you have a right to the entire rainbow of emotions that you are humanly capable of. You have a right to feel all of them. So that's why it's important to see what is the one that you are sitting with the most. So the next thing when you find your home, and again, if birds fly out of your ass and yours is happiness, awesome, great, thumbs up, you got it, girl. But if you find that it is something you don't want it to be, do not push it away. Do not go, fuck, it's depression. Okay, I don't want to look at that. Uh, No, no, no. I've just decided it's going to be happiness. It's just going to be happiness. I'm just going to be fucking more happy. I get clients that do that all the time. And when I say clients, I mean me. I do that because my emotional home for years and years and years has been anger. Anger, power. I want to say power. God, did you notice that? I'm like, no, it's power. It's not anger. Oh, God, it's not anger. But my power can sometimes come off as anger or controlling. So if I had to work on it, changing that. Yes, don't worry. See, we can change these things. So first, it's accepting it. I first had to accept, okay, the place my body is most comfortable resting in is anger. That sucks. I don't want to be angry. I don't like being angry. But if I'm really, really honest with myself, there is a comfortability in my anger. There is just a fucking sense of being home when I'm angry. And that scared the shit out of me. And I didn't want to feel that. I didn't want to be somebody whose emotional home was anger. That felt awful. That felt shaming. So I just wanted to push it away. But that is what I'm asking you not to do. You have to first accept this about yourself. I could not change my anger and rage until I could first accept that it was there. Because then you're not changing it. You're pushing it away. And so I work very hard. My practice not having a journal. God damn it. I wish it was my practice was having a journal. But my practice that I work on is transmuting or changing my anger into passion. I work on that all the time. This is why I have a podcast. This is why I have a membership. This is why I have a full book of clients. This is why I do all the things I do because I'm very passionate about it because I have to turn my anger at the fact that schools don't teach this stuff, the fact that people have a right to know this. And I'm so viscerally angry if I let myself go there that this stuff isn't taught. Nope, I'm just going to turn it into passion and my passion to move forward, my passion to work seven days a week to get this out there, to get my message out there. So I'm constantly transmuting it into it into passion. But like I said, I have to accept it first. You have to accept yours first. Your emotional home does not make you a bad person. Your emotional home isn't even your fault, right? Nobody taught you this. Often it came from just a coping mechanism as a child, anxiety. If you had a very unstable childhood, anxiety, being heightenedly aware of everything that's happening around you, kept you safe or safer. It was a tool that really, really worked for you. You can't be mad at it now. You may change it now if you like. You may work on having it be something new, but there's no point in getting mad just in being aware. So, Having a mood journal or checking in with yourself first 
and then accepting what it is, accepting what it currently is, and then figuring out what do you want it to be? What do you want your emotional home to be? And the way to start retraining your brain. And yes, unfortunately, you can't just snap your fingers um, and make this happen. You're going to have to retrain. It's like working out, right? You're not just going to wake up with the body you want overnight. It's going to happen over time with retraining. That's the same with neuroscience. That's the same with changing those neuropathways in your brain from so this is, uh, let's get a little bit and quickly into neuroplasticity here. Neuroplasticity is that you have neuropathways in your brain, like freeways. Um, and the more you think a thought, the bigger that neuropathway is. In actuality, this is not a concept. This is not an idea. This is actual fact. We can see this, that as you think a thought more, right, you're sending more electricity through that neuropathway, through that road, you make it bigger. So maybe you started as, as a small little, you know, um, dirt road. But as you start thinking that thought more and more, your brain goes, oh, we're thinking this thought all the time. I got to make it bigger. I've got to pave it. I've got to make lanes. I've got to make extra lanes. I got to make a medium. Now I've got to put p- plants in the medium. It makes it bigger and bigger and bigger. And so if you spent your whole life with an emotional home that's negative, it's an LA freaking freeway right now. And that is okay. It's just what it is. So it's going to take some work to find a new pathway. And it's going to start as a small pathway. It's going to start as a dirt road. And you're going to have to retrain your brain all the time, refocusing. Ah, We're not going to use the giant freeway. We're going to use that little tiny path. This is actual neuroscience. This is how you change the chemistry of your brain. Not going to use the freeway. I'm going to use the path. The more you use your path, your brain will be efficient and say, um, we're using that path. Okay. We're using it a lot. We're not using this freeway very much anymore. So I'm actually going to shrink the freeway. I'm going to start taking lanes out because we're not really using that anymore. We are not using the neural pathway as much to anxiety, to loneliness, to depression. Oh, we're using this one over here to joy, to contentment, to humor, to happiness, right? Whatever it is you want to feel. It starts as a little tiny road and then we're going to pave it and then we're going to make it bigger, right? Until eventually you're trying to figure out what plants you're putting in the medium. And then you don't have to think about it anymore because it's just a freeway and it's the easiest thing for your brain to think about. So picking what it is you want to rest in, what emotion you want to rest in and using it like a mantra. Where can you put it? Can you put, um, can you put it on your steering wheel on a sticky note? Can you put it on your window? And By the way, it is an emotion. Dun, dun, dun. So you don't get to just think about it. You need to feel it in the body. And why? Because your body is not a brain taxi. Your body has its own intelligence. And we tend to, especially as Americans, we cut ourselves off at the neck And we are just sitting in our brain and we're thinking and thinking and thinking and we are not getting ourselves into our body where our emotions are. You cannot think joy. You need to feel it in your body. Where does joy live in your body? You cannot feel it until you know where it lives because it lives somewhere in your body. Does it live in your chest? Does it live in your arms? Does it live in your legs? What does it feel like? Is it warm? Is it tingly? Then you can access it. 
anytime you want once you know where it lives and what it feels like. Um, this is not how my brain works, but it's some of my clients' brains work this way, where um, when I tell them to find where their emotion lives in their body, they will actually be able to tell me what it smells like or what it sounds like or what color it is. Some people's brains work really well in color. Mine doesn't. Mine works better in like warm, cold, tingly, glittery, um, tight, uh, rough, things like that. So you describe it in any way that makes sense to you. It does not need to be anything that you have to explain or make sense to anybody else. It just has to make sense to you. So if you say, oh, joy to me smells like daffodils, great. Now you know that when you smell daffodils, you're smelling that emotion, that in and find where it lives in your body so that you can find access. So that if you are putting joy on your steering wheel or you are putting the note in your lunchbox, you really need to allow yourself to feel it. Oh, that's right. Joy. Oh, that lives in my chest. I'm going to work on focusing during my lunch break on joy, on thinking about my day where there was joy in it? Where were there places of joy? Where can there be places of joy going forward in my day? Where this week? Where with my children? Where with my partner? Where at work? Where where in my car? Where when I'm alone can I feel joy? Because the more you feel it, the more you show your brain, this is important to me. And the more you make that neural pathway into a freeway. And that is what I want for you. I want you to get to make that choice of what your emotional home is, what you get to experience the most out of this life. I want you to not keep living in the unknown, in the unconscious, to get to make that conscious choice of what you want to feel in your life and in your day. And it's not to say that things don't come up that make us feel sad, that make us feel depressed or lonely or shameful or all those things. Yes, they come, but they won't be where we rest. They won't be where we settle. They'll just be, oh, emotions that come through. And this, what you choose, will be where you settle. Thanks for listening. Love you, fam. So there you have it. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And follow me at Coach Rochelle Indra on TikTok and Instagram.